Scott and Liam versus Evil. Weekend. Yeah, it was not too bad, not too bad. We we uh, got a deal for a, an overnight at a, a fancy uh, castle in Aberdeen, so we went through there and went for it. It was like dead fancy dinner. So I had a rabbit for the first time in my life. It was interesting. Really? Yeah. It was uh, it was on the I think it was yeah, it was in the starters. It was chef speciality rabbit and it came out it was a uh, loin and then two other ways of producing rabbit meat. And the loin was like so weird. It was so weird. It was like you know, how, like if you imagine like a, a like a pork loin or like a like a fillet, like a uncut fillet of beef. It's like a big long. You can imagine what muscle it is on the beef. On the beef. Well, the rabbit one was so tiny. It was like this tiny wee thing. I just imagined like an actual wee rabbit just sitting like getting killed for for me to eat it. And it was also one of the uh, it was one like a haggis ball or like a like a bonbon. It was so a deep fried ball of haggis. It was delicious, but there was a tiny wee rabbit bone in it. And I was like, oh, this wee this wee rabbit. Like people call them cute. And they, I just scanned it from a from a starter. It's lovely. So you you're still not a vegetarian or a vegan or that? <laughs> no. Absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> Fucking bring on the little tiny rabbit yeah. bones. <laughs> I used to pick my teeth. <laughs> that, that just sounds totally animalistic. <laughs> hey, welcome to Scott and Liam vs Evil episode eighty six. I'm Liam. And I am Scott. And this week it's my pick, so it's gonna be a good one. Of course it's course it's going to be a good one uh, we are talking about dead of night from 1945 have you ever seen it scott i had never heard of it before but can i ask a question had you ever seen it or did you just look for the oldest shittiest looking movie you could find on a streaming <laughs> service no i had seen it so go fuck yourself <laughs> uh, this is we've done nosferatu which is the 20s we've done the invisible man which is the 30s and let's just remind everyone that scott fucking loved the invisible man i did so the, the bar was set pretty pretty high there for like for how how good old timey movies could be so let's hope that you've kept it strong and kept it something else that's just as equally as enjoyable <laughs> that's making me think that you're going to say that Dead of Night is not as enjoyable but we'll get to that uh, and this is now the 40s so obviously you don't need to be a rocket scientist to guess that, that my next pick will be from the 50s and then it'll be from the 60s so does that mean we've only got like one more week of uh, watching Black and White no, I'm going to find black and white from the 50s, 60s, 70s. Because if, if you're getting black and white from all those places, that means it's just it, it's less becoming because they had no alternatives to becoming pretentious. <laughs> no, this probably... There was still black and white movies in the 50s, but as far as horror goes, the better ones are actually in colour mm. in the 50s. So it will be a, a colour one. Because you and other people in the group, Chris Holt, keep whinging the face off me because it's black and white or it's got subtitles it's just it. like there's some things that that okay i can understand and i can get on board with like so an invisible man on your last pick was enjoyable I, I thoroughly enjoyed it it was good and it was well written well paced and it was great however sometimes you just want a splash of color in your life you don't want to be looking at drab old-fashioned you want to be like up to date and then as well as with like subtitles like i'm already taking notes i don't want to have to concentrate 100 on reading as well as when i'm writing you know it's just too much well, just we'll fucking watch it twice. Watch it once, and then watch it and make notes. Twice? Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> Everybody's got time for that, Scott. <laughs> I've got barely enough time to watch it once, let alone twice. Uh, you need to just do a with other things in your life, like eating and <laughs> sleeping. I'm trying Walking. to do. I'm trying to do away with eating and try and get my calorie deficit on the go for every single day. But yesterday when we came home for that hotel. We get so after I ate the rabbit, we spanked about three bottles of red wine each, and then 
fucking had uh, receipts in her pocket for like half three in the morning when the hotel's supposed to shut at twelve, and uh, got late checkout. But we were sitting in line. And I was thinking, oh, it must be about breakfast time. Long as I we should plug it up. Now it's half two. I was like, what? <laughs> so um, I came home and ate about twelve thousand calories worth of McDonald's. You did actually like proceed that whole thing with uh, using a rabbit bone to pick rabbit meat out your teeth. Yeah. So I, I think you can maybe start your diet thing in two thousand twenty. <laughs> You fucked it this year. No, no, no. The, uh, the, the. I've joined the gym. Well, I think I've joined the gym. I sent away an application form, so I'll find out if it's if it takes effect on the first of March, and then, then it starts. Yeah, does it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we'll play the trailer for Dead of Night if there is one. If there's not, I'll find a fan trailer. I'll, we'll play something at this point, and then we'll be back to get right into this brilliant black and white film from the forties. Part of the world at all? No. I've never been here before. You'd like some tea, wouldn't you? Do you take milk and sugar? Milk and sugar, Mr. Craig. Milk and sugar, Mr. Craig. Still there. So it isn't a dream this time. I beg your pardon. Yes, it isn't a dream this time. I must be going out of my mind. You see, everybody in this room is part of my dream. Everybody. Good Lord, really? Very extraordinary. You're kidding. What, all of us? I can only tell you that when I came into this room, I recognized you all, instantly. Having seen all our photographs in the newspapers, I take it up to those bathrooms. <laughs> of course, you may have seen me on the sports page. Motor racing's my life. That's my chance. I can't make it. Just room for one inside, sir. It is the Mr. Rutherford, tell me about it. That's why I came back. It belonged to a man who was crippled, who accused his wife, just as you are now accusing me. You're sort of teamed up with him, aren't you? Him? My good man, think nothing of it. I'm just about through with that cheap ham anyway. Oh, oh. You'll be sorry for this later, you know. Yes, suppose I will. Let's play another game. Yes, hide and seek. Who's to hide? I'll hide. I'll hide. Yes, it's the So Dead of Night was from 1945, Uh, the synopsis is an architect senses impending doom as his half-remembered recurring dream turns into reality. The guests at the country house encourage him to stay as they take turns telling supernatural tales. It has multiple directors, this is one of, if not the first uh, anthology horror film. It can set the bar high 
no matter what Scott's going to go on to say, it's set the bar high for all future anthology films. There was a, like, a lot of things throughout history have been based on this film, and it's British. It came right after the Second World War, where horror movies in Britain were actually banned, because obviously everything that was going on in real life was bad enough. You didn't have to see gore and shit like that on screen. So this came as a surprise to the majority of the British audience and I think that's why it's as long lasting and it's hard hitting a film for the time. So let's go into Dead of Night. Can I just say, like when you say like it was it set the bar high, but then see if it's the first one, the first person, the, the bar's never set that high because everybody keeps jumping over it and putting the bar higher and higher and higher as you get better and better. So to be the first but- people to set the bar, that's not really an achievement by today's standards. Well, okay, but think about anthology films that come after this. Hitchcock got bit some psycho from this. The Twilight Zone had a lot of episodes that they had kind of lifted straight from this. There's been movies throughout history have took bits from each of these little segments, and I defy you to find an anthology film that has as many good segments, whether you enjoy it or not because it's an old one, that has as many good segments and is a total package like this. Like Creepshow has a shite story. A few kind of actually subpar ones. Tales from the Hood is the same. Whereas this, I think, apart from one story, is of a very high standard for an anthology film. I don't enjoy anthology films, but I enjoy this. Okay. (laughs) I can tell already you don't you didn't fucking enjoy. I'm this. trying to think. I'm trying to remember. Do you know that? Do you know how much this hard hitting movie uh, has an effect on me? I'm trying to remember what those stories are because only one of them I thought was good. But I suppose we can get there. Maybe this is a movie you've got to watch more than once. I'm not watching this any. I'm never watching this again. This movie took forever to watch. Like it literally is only an hour and a half long, and it took me about fucking four days to watch it because it was so boring and I had to keep taking breaks. You enjoy Inside Number Nine, yeah? Yeah. They put up a lot of their influence came from this film. That's fine. That's fine. They can be influenced by it and then make something better and then I can enjoy the better thing. Um, I'm not agreeing with you. But <laughs> let's, go, let's go through your yeah. fucking simpleton notes. They will be simpleton because I'm reading them and I don't remember anything. It's just all quotes and I don't even know what accents they put on. <laughs> Did you watch this in the fucking toilet again on your phone? <laughs> I watched it on the iPad in my bed. Hmm. In one sitting? No, several sittings. I told you like I couldn't. That sto- I thought I'd watched it. For, I thought I'd watched it for like an hour, and I'd looked at it. and It was on for like seventeen minutes. And I was like, for fuck's sake! But it's it's an it's an anthology, so I can stop between stories. No, but there's a linking narrative the whole way through it that if you jump in and out, you're missing that, and that is the whole thing that carries us. Mm. You, what we're going to, need to do is actually give you lessons on how to watch a fucking film. My uh, my first note is a uh, more black and white. Okay, five short ghost stories. It should be pretty easy for them to keep my attention with these. <laughs> Turns out that was wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> these stories have no names. Story one, uh, and then I didn't realise that because the, the people talking, like in the first part, was not story one. So when the is it a lot an architect? Who is it? That turns up. It's an architect. When he turns up, I thought this was story one, but that's the main kind of underlying story. Story, yeah, story number six, if you will. The, the stories do have names; they just don't come up on the screen. No, but well, that's that's clever. 
if you did any sort of research, if you actually pulled your finger out your ass for one fucking one second and googled it, you would have got the names of the stories. Yeah, prick. <laughs> <laughs> so the architect turns up at this house and he walks in and um, I think he, he puts his he puts his jacket straight up on the coat hook or whatever, and the, and the guy goes, "Fancy that? That must be a professional eye to spot that." I was like, "What to spot a coat hook? A very good mate. I guess it's supposed to try and tell you that he has." been there before because he's dreamed but we don't know that at the time but you you, you do how <laughs> as he walks out of the house he says uh, yeah but I, I feel I've not been here before but I feel like I have oh does he say it straight away okay yeah. almost immediately is pretty much the opening line in the film right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I take it you had seven sittings before you actually yeah. got to the first line yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh so then we, we get introduced to all the characters. I don't know if he's already told them about his dream at this point yet, but the stereotypical Freud uh, characters uh, there, uh, that highly turns into a mental case. Um, I'm assuming he's described his dream about how he's, he's seen all these characters, all these people before, who he apparently is supposed to have just been meeting for the first time. Yep. Someone says, I have never had my photograph taken, and I was just like taken by that sentence. Like Imagine being able to say that in this day and age. It is, it is impossible. Absolutely impossible to have never had your photograph taken. That's true. It's amazing how the 40s are so different to 2019. It is. That's true. I'm, glad, I'm glad that was the takeaway <laughs> from the film. Uh, so I said, the guy is describing how he has seen everyone in his dreams. Is he going to be dreaming? Will that be the twist of this story? Yes. That's not, that isn't really the twist, by the way. Well, it's, it's one of the twists. Eh. Because he goes back home, he goes to bed, and he wakes up and does it all again. <laughs> we'll put a spoiler alert at the very start of this <laughs> <laughs> because you'll literally have just spoiled it. But yeah, so that that is the that's the Lincoln narrative that's to set up. Every anthology movie has that, and more often than not, it's people in a room, and it's all kind of caricature characters. It's got to be, and this it's the race car driver, it's an architect, it's at this time a woman it, it has to be that for the kind of anthology to work so I know it's been done and you look at it going alright so it's just fucking just people in a room obviously they're going to be characters but this is why they're first to do it so again you've got to put yourself in that the, the shoes of somebody who your country's just finished fighting Germans you're just coming back from the war or whatever you were doing to evade the war <laughs> Uh, and then this came out horror films were banned this came out and this is unsettling this is kind of psychologically messing with your head the way the sixth sense did in that in later years this back in the 40s this this was freaky to people these ghost stories or is he dreaming is he not dreaming is this real life is life cyclical like this do, do we keep repeating the same thing that's actually quite scary now like what if life does just keep going what if we, we die and we are born again and we live through the same thing that's terrifying because I don't like a lot of stuff I've done in the past I don't want to do it again yeah but if you get a second chance we're consciously realising you got a second chance then yeah I'd, I'd be up but for that you don't really consciously realise it because you just maybe we've done this 500 times before maybe you don't know Scott you don't know <laughs> none of us exist at all we're all characters in Mr Craig's dream and you're talking about the fucking ham acting again. Bear in mind, it's still very theatrical. I'm actually just talking about the way old-timey British folk talk, like the proper polite shit. It just seems like such hard work. Yeah. 
It does. Uh, so the first story is about a racing driver. Uh, one of the characters is a racing driver and he crashes his race car and he's put in hospital. But what a creepy pervert that injured racing driver has been towards the nurse. That would fly in 2019, you rapist. But it flies in the 40s. Yes, because he, he coerces her into being his wife. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't coerce her. He strikes up a chat and then they, they bond and then they get married. There's no coercion. What's, what's his story? Because I've li- that's literally all that I've got in his... Apparently then he says, I'm no longer interested in your opinion, Doctor, and this could be back in the, the room or this could be the race car driver. He is... There's a window in the room and this is bits of kind of silent cinema as well where he keeps... Uh, he's getting this kind of foreboding feeling from the window and he looks out he sees a hearse and there's a driver and the driver oh, shouts yeah. up to him. There's room for one. So then later on there's a bus. A bus turns up and the driver says to him, who's the same guy from his dream, there's only room for one, so he doesn't go on the bus, and then the bus crashes and kills everybody on it. Yeah, the wee model bus crash. Yeah, it's a wee model bus crash, Scott, because in the 40s, <laughs> right after the war, they didn't have money to crash a fucking double-decker bus off a hill. <laughs> so it's just like a... It wasn't a scary story? It wasn't a scary story... But it's just setting you up that this is going to be people exchanging scary stories, that this is going to be supernatural. Mm. Okay. I think I think this history lesson is wasted on you. I think, no, I definitely think so, because I really think that this is a... Right out the, right out the gate, it, I was just like, oh, man, Liam, this is a poor effort. After The Invisible Man, this is this has went downhill so fast. I, and yet, I thought... The Invisible Man is a much better film. Yeah, definitely. It's an enjoyable film. But, but you like anthology films, so I thought showing you the first anthology film would maybe maybe excite you a wee bit, maybe get you like going, oh shit, that's where that's where Creepshow got this from. That's where Tales of Terror got that from. But I mean, maybe not. I mean, maybe if I had known it was the first anthology when I went into it. If you maybe told me that beforehand, maybe I did a different perspective while watching it. But I still think that it's that it's a that it's not a scary film or a fast like a fast paced film at all. I think you really need to sit there and put, like it's almost like you need to move the wheels forward yourself. It's like you need to do work to get through this film. Now, are anthology films ever fast paced? Um, I don't know. I mean, they don't really need to have pace because it's just individually the stories have got pace, but it just seems. No, it just seems this one has got no momentum whatsoever. Mm. So do you, you could obviously you could have found that out yourself if you'd actually just googled the film and found out that it was a first anthology film. Your eyes do work. <laughs> yeah, but that's uh, again that's that's work. <laughs> does uh, does anything else happen in the race car story you want to no, talk about, or do I move on? Uh, let's move on. Okay, so the next. Okay. I, I'm getting hostile already. I can tell this is going to be one of those episodes that you, you're going to be the scum of the earth and I'm going to hate you. <laughs> all right, all right. So That's your stupid laugh. We, we move on to the the next story, and this is um, the young girl Sally's uh, story. Um, so it cuts to a group of kids, like of all ages, um, playing games in this mansion. Uh, and I say, Jimmy, Sally, Jimmy wants to bang you in his wee Peter Pan outfit, by the way. Um, also, I don't know how old Sally is, but she's truly scrumptious. Hey. I found that out when I don't know you bit of uh, research. Was quite... Oh, so you actually did fucking do some research? Yeah. 
and you, you found out that she is from Chitty Chitty Bang yeah. Bang, but you didn't find out that this is the first anthology film? No. Oh. I can't remember why I looked her up. Probably fancy her because <laughs> she's like 12. <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> um, so basically, like they, they play this, this, this game where it's like reverse hide and seek, where one person hides. And Although I've seen, in fact, was it Inside Number 9 that did it? Yeah, the sardines. Yeah. And then whenever you find, whenever somebody finds you, then you have to hide in the same place until there's like everybody's squashed in the same place. Just seems like a shit game, to be honest with you. <laughs> who who loses? So, who wins? Uh, well, if you're in a cupboard full of lassies or guys, depending on your preference, obviously the longer you're in there, the more you can be like, you can kind of coerce them into things. Like it's the implication that these are in the, the implication. cupboard. It's, it's a, you're in the cupboard and it's the implication that you don't need to do anything but if you want to get out of this cupboard you will <laughs> <laughs> I've never played sardines I don't no. actually know if that's how it goes <laughs> I'd think it'd be like so squashed in that like, hands would be like touching genitals at some point just because you're so squashed together again it's the implication that, yeah. that should we be touching genitals or is it just because we're squashed in this tight space exactly like if there's a negative reaction you say shit sorry it's because I'm so squashed in this tight place but if it's a positive reaction they'd like yeah, let's hope they never find us. Let's get more people involved. <laughs> um, no, I, so, so also, by the way, I've just forgot to mention that these kids have got their own personal piano player to play music, theme tunes along to their, their games. <laughs> Is that not a good thing? Would you not love that? I just think it's very strange. That's how the upper half live, eh? <laughs> um, the delivery of lines in this movie is so annoying to me. I'm in jolly good company. For music, if you're at a, a birthday party for your pals, there'll be a DJ or there'll be somebody playing music. So the pianist is just because obviously they didn't have iPods, they didn't have sound systems yeah. to play music. Yeah, I know. But I mean, like, so the, the the adult party was going in one room and then the kids' parties, just, like, they're all running about like fannies in the rest of the house. Aye. Right, just checking. <laughs> um, aye, so this is when I put my note in that it's only been on for 20 minutes and I feel like it's been an hour. I, I do think it's. I think the black and white out the gate still like kind of bogs you down where you're not. Apart from Invisible Man, where you then kind of picked up and got to enjoy it. I do think the black and white's maybe lost on you. I don't mean lost on you, but a way that you're not. It has to be really fucking good for you to enjoy it if it's monochrome. Yeah. I'm starting to realise that now. That's yes. a shame. <laughs> Um, I, my question is also, why is that we last see at the party anyway? Why not? I don't know. I can't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically she hides in this wee position and then she finds a secret door and then she finds a secret room that's got a wee boy greeting in it who said uh, his sister's going to hurt him or punch him or whatever or if, she, if he doesn't do what he's telling. So she puts him to bed and goes back and says, oh, I had a lovely time being with that little boy. I put him to bed and he said his sister was going to hurt him. <gasps> You're joking. His sister murdered him here 50 years ago! And then you're like, oh my god, how scary. In the 40s it probably was. <laughs> you're not watching this pretending that you were in that time. Because I can't, because I'm not from that time. But you fucking do some research. Look what else was going on at that time. The war had just happened. We, di- we didn't have a lot of other scary things. So... A supernatural ghost story? Well, what? Ghosts? Because people still believe in fucking ghosts. So then this, 
shit's happening, nobody really knows what's going on. It's an anthology film, it's like, what? These are all different stories. It's putting people on edge, people are getting freaked out. And then she's talking to a wee boy, and oh my god, the wee boy's sister killed him. Ch- child, murdering child. That's a, that's a horrifying concept. Not after you've just learned about people, four million Jews getting murdered in Awani. But you, you, you didn't really learn that. People, right after the war happened, people weren't quite aware of that. Mm. Also, don't bring the Holocaust out. That's got nothing to do with it. You keep, you keep bringing up the war. <laughs> I am just bringing up the war. I'm not comparing this to the horrors and atrocities of the Holocaust. <laughs> See if you see if you don't end this in a positive, like this whole thing, I'm going to tell Abdi that you're a Holocaust denier. And <laughs> I'm going to have it on record. You know what, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't count because I've been to Auschwitz and I've seen the Beer Canal. <laughs> I've travelled <laughs> oh, along shit. that. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, just for the record, Scott is not actually a Holocaust denier. That, yeah. is, that was just a joke. <laughs> so yeah, that's the Christmas party story. So again, you didn't like that one then? Uh, no, I thought it was quite boring. I thought the payoff was just like a bit ugh, bland. Right, so let, let's rate them then. So you can't rate the, the, the Lincoln narrative yet, but the Hearst Driver, what would you give it out of five? One. Scumbag. The Christmas Party? One. <laughs> You're lucky you love it the other side of Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> right, so let's next. go on to the next one, which is the Haunted Mirror. Right, what do you want for your birthday back in black and white days? A mirror? Oh, cheers. Thank you. Do you have mirrors in your house? I thought, yeah, I've got mirrors in my house, but I've never had one for my birthday present. I thought it's still standard to get uh, BJs for your birthday. (laughs) 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 You're an adult. In the 40s, it wasn't standard to get blowjobs for your birthday. I bet it was. It should have been. (laughs) I bet it was, (laughs) not (laughs) it? Did you see the the fucking state of dental hygiene in the 40s? That's the last thing I'd want wrapped around my dick. <laughs> especially, especially in Britain. Right, so you're telling me that you, your lovely wife sees this big fancy antique mirror in a shop. It is an expensive thing. It's quite a, a good few hundred quid. And she says to you, Scott, I want this for Christmas or I want this for my birthday. You're buying her it and then buying her other birthday gifts because you don't give her a mirror for her birthday. No, I mean, if, she, if she's seen it and she wanted it, then I, then I would get it for her, obviously. Right, so this woman has bought her husband a mirror because he's seen it, he's wanted it, he likes it, then it's a present. It was not made aware to me that he had seen this previously and or expressed desire to own it. You don't need to be held by the hand with pointing out that, by the way, he's seen this mirror at some point. Just, she, he liked the mirror, she got him the mirror. Fucking deal with it, there's a mirror there. Ah, right. Oh, I do have one quote from this uh, just before things get dark for the, uh, for these people. Uh, he says, uh, what should we do tonight? Dress up and spend a lot of money? But some things remain the same in this time period, I guess. <laughs> I do that way too often. <laughs> Maybe it was then expecting a blowjob. Yeah. Uh, my next note is pretty much that uh, this is not scary in the slightest. <laughs> right. I'm not showing you these films to scare you. I'm showing you these films to just kind of make you aware of their existence and what influences are on movies and that you might enjoy it. It's not Obviously it's not going to scare you because things now... In films that are allowed to be shown are way scarier. Some of these stories, like they were actually cut and moved about. There was a there's the story that we're coming up to after this one that was just put in to try and give them a it was like a comic relief to try and actually give them a rating to release the movie. So this these stories are 
scary to the point that they don't actually want to release this film. Obviously, it's different. You've now got stuff like Hereditary and that. You can show a woman cutting her head off on screen. You, a Serbian film, you can show a guy pumping a wee boy. It's totally different what you can show now from what you could show then. So you've got to kind of keep that in mind. That you're obviously not going to get scared, but you can still appreciate the the, the cinema and the story and the 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 narrative and the techniques and everything about it you can still appreciate what they are it's not just as scary well it wasn't to entertain me either <laughs> so the, basically this right let me get this right the, the story about the mirror okay so she gets in this mirror and when he's like dressing himself up it's reflecting a different room than the room he's standing in so that's like okay that's creepy uh, mm-hmm. and this happens a couple of times and now they just now, they discuss about crossing the line into the mirror and meeting what's waiting for you, and then they don't go into the mirror at all. Because you can't really go into the mirror. Well, don't show me an alternate mirror reality then, if you can't go into it. But that's that's the where the scary part comes in. This is in his head. He can't stop seeing this. He keeps seeing this other room. What is this room? How come he is now intrigued and enthralled and caught up in this room that nobody else can see it's then psychological it's then is this guy is this guy crazy is this guy suffering from something is it everyone else it's that it's that element of doubt that then makes this a kind of a, a tense film at the time but what um so what was the we get an answer for why you can see it in the room because the mirror was taken from a house where the guy, uh, was it the guy killed himself? I can't, actually, I can't remember how, if he killed himself or the guy died in the room and this stuff was taken from it. So it's a cursed mirror because it was cursed at the time. That's it, the guy couldn't couldn't get out of the room. I, I, can't, I, I, I now can't remember <laughs> the, exact, the exact technical details. Yes. But uh, he was... It came from a, a murder or a death house, and it was cursed. Right. Okay. And it, I think, it, in fact, it was. It drove the guy mental because he kept, he couldn't get out the room. Oh fuck knows, fuck knows, Scott. Fuck you. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, so we go back to the main, the main room here. Now my note says here when they go back to the main room, the husband is going to be seen differently. He's becoming jealous and going to kill his wife and then himself. I don't know if this is. Oh, is this? Oh, is this still? Is this maybe still from uh, the mirror story? Like when you go back it to is. seeing the mirror properly. It yeah. is. That is the mirror story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then it gets. So then after that, so after the mirror story finishes, we go back to the main room, and um, our guy who feels as if he's seen all this before uh, goes to leave, and Freud stops him leaving. So if anything happens, if any of the nightmares he says is supposed to happen, it's all on Freud. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he's talking, though, the main kind of guy, Mr. Craig, he sounds like that uh, Charlie Chaplin speech, you know, that one that was used in the Pilonutini song? No. Do you know that it was like the first, first one of the first talkies? I'm surprised you don't know this. It was one of the first talkies and uh, Charlie Chaplin just totally improvised this big, massive speech. It's called The Dictator, I think. Oh, yeah, I know that, but I yeah. didn't know it was from a Pilonutini song. Well, it's not for a Palantini song, but he used it in the Palantini song. Ah, but I didn't hear it in a Palantini song. Yeah. So when you, say, when you throw Palantini at the equation, I'm like, no, I don't know, because I don't care about Palantini. <laughs> well, he should. He's one of the good Scottish exports. Oh, is he? Aye. Well, he's one of them. We don't have a lot, so we need to, you know, champion them when we can. Are you bad-mouthing Texas? 
No, I've championed Texas, I championed Amy McDonald, and I championed Iron Brew. There's not wait, All wait. related. Yeah. <laughs> I don't champion uh, Robbie Burns, though. I don't like his poems are shite. Is um, that, again, I think that's just because it's harder language. See, because it's like once it used four or five syllables, you just can't fucking comprehend them. It's too old to me. It's playing black and white as well. <laughs> um... Right, so I the Charlie Chapman speeches, like, do people actually talk like that, or is it all acting? Like, see, when they weren't acting, did they still speak the same way? I think they still spoke to each other kind of politely, and yeah, I think. Yeah. Because education was still, in kind of, not early days, but education was still, it's not like today, education was still such a big, <laughs> a big thing that, yeah, if you were educated, then you spoke politely, you spoke clearly, you spoke well, you used big words that would throw you and Chris Holt uh, for six. <laughs> right, let's move on to the next story, which is actually quite a bizarre, bonkers story. This is probably the, looking back, this is probably my favourite story. Um, you've got to, oh, you've got to be kidding. Why? Because this is the weakest story in the film. Really? <laughs> this is the one that everybody else has an issue with. I, I've got issues with it. I'm, I'm, I find it funny because I'm so ridiculously terrible. <laughs> this this one... is the... Well, in fact, but the, the mirror, what would you give the mirror? Oh, uh, five. One. <laughs> so, far, so far, we've got a three out of five, so it's all right. That's not how it works. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a three out of fifteen. How it works. Uh, so, aye, they got the golfer story. So, this was your favourite? This just just looking back at it right now, this one's like it's not scary and it's not good. It's just so fucking bonkers, like awful. Like it starts off uh, these two old these two old men are playing golf. They were deadly rival only on the course. Otherwise, they were the best of friends until I until a young girl in her twenties shows up and this Jack and Victor old cunts are perving over her before taking her decisions out of her hand and betting over her on a game of golf. It's fucking awful. <laughs> Dexism is awful, especially when you look back. I even just go back to like the nineties. I was watching a wee bit of Top Gun the other day there, and there's a scene in the bar where to try and chat up um, the bird that he goes with. I can't remember her, her name. Uh, Kelly, something. Kelly, something plays the, the girl in a uh, Top Gun, and to get her attention, he gets all of his Navy pilot buddies to sing at her in the bar until she's forced to speak to him. It's terrible. <laughs> Anyway. See this this film's actually uh, this segment of the film's got a lot of kind of the idea that these two guys are actually gay. They are when they're talking over the women and uh, they're betting on the golf and stuff like that. The woman is kind of neither here nor there. She doesn't need to be there. It's these guys that are then quite later where they're together, they're friends. It it can be seen that this is a gay story. Which again, for the time, was not really accepted, not respected. Yeah, I mean, there, there is uh, there is elements of that. I'm just looking through my notes here for this story, and yeah, I, I think we will touch on that as we go through it for sure. <laughs> um, but let's go back to the got the first bet in the golf when the betting for the the young girls, um, like well, to force her into going out with one of them. The difference uh, between two or three shots. It's not that big numbers. How can you not keep track of that? Like they were confused about who's who's where because the older guy has essentially cheated um, to win, and he's got his caddy to lie for him. So <laughs> as he's lost the other guy, as the other guy's lost the bet, he just turns round and walks into the into the lake and drowns himself. <laughs> I was like, 
the loser had to kill themselves in the bet? Could they not have just skip town? And like, to not see the girl ever again? It just seems a bit drastic. Oh, or why does it even move? To, why does it even just move to play golf at a new course? In fact, no. That's that's question next, actually, because then we find out that the boy who died in the this uh, in, the, in the lake at the 18th hole is a ghost, and he's haunting the, the course, and he haunts the old guy, the the one who's alive every time he plays it. So why doesn't he just move to a new course? There is more than one golf course out there, you know. But is it that maybe maybe one of the golfers isn't actually there maybe one of the golfers is dead the one that returns to the water and the whole time he's been the ghost and the other one's just obsessed so he's talking to this woman and then just having this mad breakdown conversation with his friend who died and then they're out in the the course playing golf and then he wins and the guy returns back to the lake (laughs) so he's always been dead so the other guy's always been dead possibly uh the ghost does say to me at one point, I'd haunt you forever. Unless, of course, you were to lay me. I said, well, that means something different now. So is he obsessed? He's obsessed with golf. He's obsessed with his friend who maybe wasn't just a friend. Yeah, so that's the that's where you think they're gay. Because I've also got a note here that says, did he even get the girl? The girl, the girl who it was nothing in it. She was just there as a kind of... But he does have a girl at one point because I've, I've got another note here that says uh, she wants to de... <laughs> <laughs> you say that about every woman in no, cinema, but <laughs> but this is like this. Is, so basically, his ghost pal comes back to him, and there's some daft shite part about how he's forgot how to vanish. It's like, what the hell is this daft shite comedy? Like, is this serious? It's certainly not scary. He used to do these daft movements with his hands that make him vanish, but he's forgotten. So he's he's perving over his pal when he's trying to when she's trying to bang him because she's like, ah, we're not busy now, and she's totally wanting it, but he keeps the one that's alive keeps saying no because his dead pal's watching him. Um, but I think that 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 story to me is the the weakest because it is it's for comic relief, but it's comic relief possibly by a kind of director of that who didn't really have a good sense of humour. So the the bit where the guy's making the face the, the facial gestures and stuff to try and make himself disappear again mm-hmm. is just meant to be funny, obviously. It falls flat now. It probably fell flat at the time because it's a very, it's a very kind of ham-fisted humour. Yeah. But I'm really surprised that was your favourite story. I thought that would be the one that you'd come out and go, "That was, that was the stupidest one." Oh, it's definitely the stupidest one. I absolutely don't get me wrong. <laughs> but this movie is so unentertaining that this is the one that, like, <laughs> looking back, it's the most enjoyment. I hope there's comeback from this. I hope somebody listens to this and comes on and goes, Scott, do you know what? You're just a dick, man. What are you saying? <laughs> see if not, see if Abdi agrees with you, then come on and tell me and we'll, I'll change my picks and I'll just settle for just picking fucking Netflix shite from now on. <laughs> because it's just, it's wasted on you. And it's upsetting me. It's making, it's making me cry inside. I'm, no, I'm, I'm, always, I'm always up for watching them. Yeah, and seven fucking takes while sitting in the toilet seven different times I will make get films that are easy to watch Scott this film's like fucking an hour and 20 minutes I, I tell you already and it feels like it's about fucking 10 but it's not 10 so if you sit for an hour and 20 minutes and one sitting you'll watch it if you watch it in wee bits then of course it'll feel like 10 hours because I, you'll have watched it over a fucking 4 or 5 day period have you ever sat down and maybe 
sat down for a, a nice dinner or sat down and played like Red Dead Redemption for an hour and that hour feels as if it flies past, right? And have you uh-huh. ever sat down and spent an hour just counting the seconds right round 60 minutes, counting a minute each time? Have you ever done that? It feels like it's fucking forever. Well, that's pretty much, that's this film was longer than doing that. See if you spend less time sitting in the house counting down the seconds and more time just actually watching the movie. <laughs> you might enjoy it more. This takes us on to the last story, which is by far the best, and it's the one that's for the cover, uh, the DVD cover, the poster, uh, and it's the one it's most well known for, and it's the ventriloquist dummy. Well, it is the one that it says on the the Shudder synopsis when I was watching it that it, that it has got that the most famous story is the ventriloquist or something. It's one of the and it it, it bigged it up as being the, like one of the best or one of the, whatever. Uh, so that's what I've said here. The ventriloquist story. This is what we've all been waiting for. There is something very creepy about ventriloquist dummies. I'd, I'd like one. I don't know where to get one, though, but I'd like one. But what is it? What creeps you out about them? Is it the fact that, like, Buffy and Goosebumps and all all, all our kind of different movies and stories have all used the ventriloquist dummy coming alive and coming after you? Yeah, it's definitely from uh, Slappy, from Goosebumps, and then that time that uh, I smoked that strong weed and holiday and thought I could see them peering at me from the back of the corner of the house. <laughs> Would you know what the first movie was that had a ventriloquist dummy that was maybe alive? Oh, let me guess. Was it this one? Yes, it was fucking this one. <laughs> so they, you, you've been scared by ventriloquist dummy, by ventriloquist dummies uh, from media that got the idea of that from this film, which you are currently given like a fucking four out of twenty. <laughs> yeah, well, appreciate it. Fucking tell me, I mean, tell I'm me, you appreciate it, it. I'm not going to give it a five out of five for the idea. I'm not. I'm not rating it on ideas. I bet it should get more than a one. Well, we'll see. Well, overall, when we get to the end. <laughs> now, um, this story starts off with the this old bald guy turning up to a club that he's not been at for years, and people seem to recognise him. And he walks in, and the band's playing a song called Hullabalooba. Now, there is no need for the Hullabalooba song at all. That it's it's credited in the it's in the credits as original song Hullabalooba and eventually you get to this song and there's just absolutely no need for it. And I can imagine like the people sitting in the in the room that's supposed to be real life telling these stories, that they that this guy is reciting for his ventriloquist story, he is reciting the song Hullabalooba because <laughs> there's no need for it to be there whatsoever. So sorry, that annoyed me. <laughs> Again, it's probably just for a wee bit of lighter relief because at the time you would be tense, you'd be on the edge of your seat with this film. So the golf story and then the song is to take you out of it again and then kind of remind you that, oh shit, maybe something's going to get dark again. You just kind of have your back up a wee bit. But I do agree that the, the song, there is really no need for it and it's, it's a wee bit daft. Yeah, and a straight song. <laughs> now, basically, the story of the ventriloquist is very straightforward and simple. The, the guy who's performing on the stage is getting um, pos- not possessed but the ventriloquist dummy is essentially alive and he's it seems that he's not controlling it although to the audience, the unsuspecting audience it's they still think it's funny um, but we obviously know there's a sinister part to this so we can think that the dummy is actually alive and the things that he's saying and doing and is actually out of, out of his control now my question to you right is See if you were a ventriloquist performer and if the dummy was running you the way that it looks like in the movie, you just wouldn't pick him up, would you? 
No, you wouldn't. Exactly. Game over. Uh huh. If the dummy was actually alive, had you taken a better understanding of this film, you idiot? <laughs> 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 the dummy's not alive. It's a split personality. I know, and before you go, I know this is maybe not how split personality works, but in the 40s, this is possibly how a split personality schizophrenia was maybe seen to have worked. So it's, it raises the question, is the dummy alive or is it him? The end of this shows you that no, it's just him. It's just he is the same as Psycho and Norman Bates and it's been said that Alfred Hitchcock actually got some of that idea from this that in Psycho Norman Bates' mum wasn't actually there it's in his head it's this other personality of his it's the same with this Michael Redgrave is him he's a ventriloquist and he is the dummy and the, the, the forces are kind of battling it out until the end where the dummy becomes to the forefront so he's still sitting there but he's now speaking like the dummy right okay now so he, he wouldn't pick him up if the dummy was alive but to, to him, it's because it's a different side of his personality. He's not really in control of that. Right. Okay. Now, we've got the other guy, the guy who is also a ventriloquist, um, who's the one, the, the bald guy who comes back to the show. He's the one that kind of is dealing with the guy and kind of seeing that there's some sinister stuff going on here. But to catch him, the police, the police take the bald guy to kind of trick the split personality guy is this correct this is after he's been in hospital because the split personality guy has shot him now you would not go and try and help the guy you've only met twice and on the second time he fucking shot you if the police came and asked you tell him to get to fuck no, I, I don't I don't remember him going to kind of yeah because he turns up with his arm in a sling with two police to speak to the the dummy I, guy I, I think it's more because he's seen how he's been with the dummy he's seen that he is he's still actually using his ventriloquist skills obviously to other people they if they don't know about ventriloquism <laughs> they don't know if he is actually like making the dummy talk whereas the other guy can see it he can see it in his facial tics he can see it that his mouth moving so the doctor the, the doctors the police need a specialist to go in and obviously People are friendly at the time. People are helpful. So he's going to do it. And he only gets shot because Michael Redgrave thought he'd, he'd stole the dummy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now, who gets put in the cell? Do we go back to the main story or is it Michael Redgrave gets put in the cell? It's Michael Redgrave that's put in the cell. He's the ventriloquist. And this is when the dummy moves on its own? Yeah. <laughs> now, that's freaky. I feel that this whole eternity of a movie was leading up to the weird guy, weird wee guy dressed up as the dummy. That two seconds was the only good bit about this film. <laughs> it is creepy. It is quite creepy. <laughs> uh, but no, the whole movie's it's everything about it's meant to be unsettling and freaking you out. It's not just building up to this because it didn't come out that. Oh, by the way, here's some subpar stories and a really good ventriloquist one at the end. <laughs> It's just the ventriloquist one, obviously, has lasted the test of time a wee bit better because Michael Redgrave's performance is outstanding and you can't deny that. he. If you're watching it and you're engrossed in it, he is fucking playing his heart out for that role. Mm. Alright. 
Do you know who who uh, his granddaughters are? Michael Redgrave. Are they called Redgrave? No, they're not. Okay. Uh, his daughter is Vanessa Redgrave. Who aye. was? I was going to say Vanessa Redgrave. Aye. Yeah, loads of shit. And then her daughters are see the lassie from Nip Tuck, that Jolie Richardson, and right. Liam Neeson's wife that died, the other oh. Richardson. That's who. That, that's who his granddaughters are. Oh well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. I think it's more impressive that Vanessa Redgrave's your daughter. I know, but I couldn't remember it off the top of my head. I couldn't remember when Vanessa Redgrave was in, but I remember Nip Tuck. <laughs> but he is excellent in this. He, he, he really is, and I think anybody that watches the movie and properly pays attention, they can't really dispute his performance in this. <laughs> I I mean, okay, I mean, it, it was the best story, um, like in terms of, like, I'd say the golf one was the best story, but it's just because it was so bonkersly ridiculous, but I, it was the best story, but even even then, it's, it wasn't enough to say, oh, I'll, I'll watch Dead of Night again at some point. I think, I think you've went into this, which is understandable. I don't like surf as well. I think you've been into this, and because the first bit has been so slow, by the time it gets to this, you are totally checked out. You're not interested. Yeah, and I get that. I think if it started out the ventriloquist dummy, I think you would have been more inclined to enjoy the other stories, possibly. 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 Uh, so the ventriloquist dummy, it's the the same bit with the end where you are. When he's in the cell and the doctor's trying to get in and you hear the dummy screaming, it tricks that that whole short story has tricked the audience into then feeling for this dummy. So you're thinking, right, this it's sinister. Is it alive? Is it not alive? Is it doing these bad things? By the end of it, when you know he's about he's throttling the dummy, he's gonna kill it, you're hearing the dummy screaming and you're like, No, fucking get in there, get in there and stop it, don't don't kill it. The dummy's not alive. The dummy's an inanimate object. It tricks the audience into thinking that it's feeling compassion for this inanimate thing. That's clever. Yeah. Martin Scorsese put this in his top eleven scariest movies of all time. Are you going to argue with Martin Scorsese? Yeah, because he just makes gangster films with fuck you know. Oh, I'll kill you! <laughs> he does not just make gangster films. All right. Oh. You're a shitbag. Right now, so we go back. We go back to the original architect story, and then, like, how does that end? He just leaves for the day and goes home and goes to bed and wakes up and does it all again. He starts. It, it then becomes a wee bit of a fever dream where he is being attacked by the characters and all these stories that aren't really meant to be linked. It's different characters telling their their supernatural uh, anecdote, and then he's been attacked by them all. So. Uh, has this whole thing been a dream and then at the end where he wakes up and he flips a coin and he is to go out to the job is that then is that the real life is that reality where he the, the thing before that you've seen was the dream and now he's going in here going I've dreamt about this so is that the reality or is it just an ongoing thing is it like purgatory is it just a, a thing that just keeps going so once he gets to the end he gets attacked by all these characters and he does it again. It's yeah, a, I, think it's a, a, I think it's a thing. loop, yeah. I think he's in a loop. And thinking of time loops in the 40s, the Christopher Smith, the whole concept of the triangle, which we both really enjoyed when we done the, the done the episode on, he got that from Dead of Night. The time looping on itself. It kind of idea. 
That was taken straight from this. Yeah, but it was also changed enough that that was an entertaining film. It was put in colour, and there was a lassie with tits, and there was blood, and it was a modern horror. Yeah. I'm sold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I, I, think, I think you're a lost cause for me. Do you want to know my final summation? Yeah. I don't, but yeah, just give it. Wow. Very boring. Slow, <laughs> shite dialogue. Unscary stories, and the whole thing is only loosely tied together. Techniques that techniques that lead on to further filmmaking, sure, but there's only so many times I can use that excuse to try and say something nice about these shite movies you pick. I have nothing else to say. Too many old pervs out of five. Time Out did a poll with loads of horror authors, directors, actors, people just involved in the, the genre, and it was their like what their top horror movies were and Deadly Night was number 35 in the top 100 of all time yeah but I don't trust that but it's not been voted thir- number 35 because it's really shit and just one person enjoys it is because of everything that it leads to everything it does for the horror genre all that the amount of movies and stuff that it then came from it that I think that needs to be respected and admired and appreciated whether you enjoy the movie overall. I don't think you can just go in and go, ah, that was shite, I was born. Because if it was just shite and born, it wouldn't have spurred on things that you really enjoy, like Triangle, like Psycho, like Inside Number 9. I think it's unfair just to whitewash over it by saying, nah, boring, shite, didn't like it without giving it going, do you know what, right, okay, that story was a bit boring, that story wasn't scary for the time, but I appreciate the techniques, I appreciate the narrative, I appreciate what it does for future horror. I said all of those things. Mm. Did you though? I did. I 100% See. did. I appreciate what it does and I understand where ideas have came from. However, I do not enjoy it. It's like, would you, you know, go back and, and let's, it's not a bad example because, um, I do listen to old time music. Would you uh, like say, "Oh well, um, I'm going to um, make a fire in my back garden and cook my stew in a big pot out the back with no oxo cubes because you know that it, you have to appreciate it because this is where it came from." No, no, you wouldn't. You cook it in your hob in the kitchen. Uh huh. So sometimes it's good to move forward. Would I see someone sitting there cooking in their back garden and go, "That's fucking stupid. What are you doing that for?" You probably no, would. I'd be like, no, I'd be like, do you know what? I, I appreciate your commitment to past cooking. Right, well, I appreciate your commitment to past movies. However, I will continue to say that I enjoy the modern ideas or the modern development of those ideas better. Okay. And I think that's fair to say because is, uh, they, 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 wouldn't, they wouldn't be making them if they weren't for if they didn't have an audience. Okay, I accept that. Yes. <laughs> Was that an involuntary? Yes. Yeah. I don't. I definitely don't agree that it's a two out of five in Andy's book, but I I appreciate and respect that you do not have time for old horror films. Which is well, like I say, it's not always strictly true. If it's a good one, if it still stands up uh, to the test of time, then yes. And if I'm not looking at it with any sense of nostalgia, because I don't, I didn't watch any of these old-fashioned films growing up, so I don't have any nostalgia for any of them. So. If, if they impress me today's by watching them today by today's day and age and standards then, then, then I will tell you I will fully, I'm happy to say that I enjoyed it 
that that's where then it, it's it's a really hard thing to do because to try and find a movie from the forties that will that will scare you as much as a a two thousand and tens film, that's that's not going to happen because times times change, things are different. We are allowed to see different things. Yes, that's correct. However, if a creepy story is told well, then it can still be scary. I, I just think that if you're if you're going to analyse and break down horror films now, you should have a you should have at least visited the the kind of go to films that have a legacy from the past. I think if you if you want to fairly critique current horror, you should have an understanding on where it came from. Yeah. Which is why I'm, which is why I'm quite happy to um, have you pick all these movies for me to watch. I'm going to pick an absolutely awful one, even one that I hate from the fifties, just to really fuck you up. Maybe I'll like it. You probably fucking would. The fact that you enjoyed the golfer story more than any <laughs> other one. Uh, right, so two eighty-five. Two eighty-five. Uh, what was it you gave Nosferatu? Uh, I can't remember. Three. Maybe a, th- a three. I think yeah. So it went three, four. Two. Yep. Yeah, okay. Right, I've got my work cut out. Yep. You need to try and find that elusive old fashioned five out of five, which I don't think is out there, but I think I just need to p- put it into colour. I think uh, you know what you need to do? You need to, you need to pick a few ones that I'll think are, are twos and then break out what I would normally say a four, but after I've watched so many shite I might be like I might give it a five because I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm at dire straits. Like see if you kept the invisible man at the end, it might get a five. Oh, so Dire Straits, there you, you listen to Dire Straits. Why do you listen to Dire Straits and not listen to Little Mix? Because they're new, they're current. I do listen to Little Mix as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're a fucking dick. <laughs> anyway, I'd give Dead or Night a, a four. Of course you would. It's, <laughs> it's a movie that I don't revisit a lot. It was actually my pal John. I'm calling him Big John Horror. And that's going to be his character name now because on Letterboxd his name is Big John Horror and he keeps writing these really fucking sarcastic reviews that are genuinely funny. So I'm going to try and get Big John Horror trending. Uh, it was actually him that gave me it. And I'd never seen it but I'd heard it. I'd seen it in all these top horror lists and I was like, right, shit, I'll check it out. And I, I was really taken aback by it. I thought, that's a really fucking good film from a, a studio that didn't do horror films. This was their first attempt at horror and it was before Hammer kind of took over it's British, it's got great acting especially Michael Redgrave I I think it's a it's a movie that deserves the legacy that it's left so yeah 4 out of 5 so we'll take a a short break and then we'll be back to close out the show Hi all you teenage comet zombies, this is Kelly Maroney and you're listening to Scott and Liam vs Evil so, have you been watching anything else? Hopefully in one sitting. Yeah, well, I'm still powering through Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is still fantastic. I'm nearly finished season four, so I'm quite gutted that it's coming to an end. However, have you... I've started watching the listen, uh, watching the Ted Bundy tapes now. That I've, I'm only at episode two, and I've seen you said online that it picks up from two and three onwards, but Lorne had been told another programme to watch on Netflix, a true crime documentary, and it's called Kidnapped in Plain Sight. Have you watched that? I've not, no. Holy fuck. Now, I'm only halfway through it, right? But see, when you watch this, you will you will literally watch this and go, what? And then you'll think, <laughs> right, and you'll be like, what? 
and you'll be like, right, surely it can't get any weird, weirder than And you will literally go, there's like six, seven times that you just think it cannot get any more bizarre than this. And it just keeps up in the ante. Like, honestly, it is, it is absolutely, you think these, this, this whole scenario, and you're like, why the hell would the parents let this happen? Like, like this friend come over as often as he was coming over and things. And you're like, and honestly, you just you honestly need to watch it. We only got halfway through because we started watching it late last night, and Lauren was up for work this morning, so but it's only about an hour and a half. But honestly, it is it is. I don't. I honestly don't think that it can get any worse. But I am expecting to to get fucking super bizarre. So is it just a film? It's not like a series. It's a, it's just a, a one one time documentary. I'm sure it's about an hour and twenty seven minutes, maybe around about that mark. And it's a apparently it's a true life true life story. Um, but you'll be watching it thinking. Is is this actually true? Because the stupidity that's going on here, these people deserve everything that happened to their glassy. Are you sure you want that going on record? <laughs> no, they absolutely did not deserve any of it. But they really should have known better. They were one hundred percent should have known better. Ah, uh, I'll definitely watch it. The Ted Bundy tapes as well are. Uh, after the first episode, I was like, nah, not too fussed about it. It's a yeah. bit slow. But the end of the second into the third and into the fourth, like I like to think, because I, my head's up my ass sometimes. I like to think I know a lot about serial killers because I've always like liked reading about them and watching things and done research. Uh, there's fucking things I'm learning about Ted Bundy that seem to be really common knowledge, and I'm like, holy fuck, I did not know that. Yeah. So it's really interesting that way because yeah. I didn't think there was anything I could learn about Ted Bundy, and it turns out there is. Yeah, I'm going to stick with it and watch it. Uh, you will, you will, you will enjoy it, especially for the movie coming out because I know how you feel about Zac Efron. Yeah, oh yeah, sexy Zac Efron. <laughs> so we'll be back next week with episode eighty-seven, and it's Scott's pick. Yes, we're getting some fun there for me. I don't know, I don't know what I was going to say. I was, I almost gave away the the title of the, the, my pick, but uh, I'm saving it. I'm saving that juicy bad boy for you guys. Can't <laughs> <laughs> think of the get to say. My brain just went completely dead. <laughs> <laughs> Flaming completely dead and all you could think of was Juicy Bad Boy. <laughs> juicy Bad Boy. <laughs> uh, so, do you know where you can check us out on the website www.scotlandvsevil.com? Come over to the group on Facebook, uh, on Instagram. Let us know what you think of the show. Let us know what you think of the pics. Let us know if you've watched Steady Night for the first time and if you agree with Scott or you agree with me or you agree Team with Scott. one of us. Team Scott all the way. <laughs> if you want to be Team Scott, currently Team Scott has two members Scott and Chris. And I'd like to think that is genuinely the only people you'll ever get in your team. I don't think so. I mean, people see the error of your ways and they start flocking over to Team Scott when they realise that it's a lot more fun to go and party and not to be like, oh yes, let's um, analyse the uh, historical accuracy of the importance of this. Like, just Let's just go and fucking slam some tequila shots. And... When, when was the last time you went party, Scott? Saturday night. <laughs> Because I was at Friday night, Saturday night and Sunday night, so go fuck yourself. <laughs> I still need time to come and watch Dead Night again and do some research. <laughs> so yeah, thanks for listening and uh, have you got anything else to say, Scott? Um, adios, muchachos. See you guys. So do lollies in a lollipop jar. Gingerbread men have a gingerbread sound. We found... Sugar plums, cinnamon and lemon tart Tell you what they are right from the start And your name, that's the same for you
Oh.